Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week, we are looking at building money values. Five key areas to focus on, and I can absolutely promise you this. If you take note on these five steps, it'll give you peace of mind, it'll give you fulfillment, but most importantly, it'll set you well on the way to winning the game of money. As always, take plenty of notes, but most importantly, make sure you take plenty of action. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Orangel. Looking forward to trading blows today, AB, because we are chatting about a really exciting episode, a bit of a deep dive. We're going to get a little philosophical, but we're also going to keep it quantitative as well. It's how to develop your money values. And we're not just talking about how much to save, but also how much to spend and enjoy and invest. Mm. Well-rounded. It is. And, and values around money, unfortunately or fortunately, can almost predetermine where you end up uh, you know, finishing, finishing the game. Uh, and developing good money values are things that can evolve and change over time. Uh, one of the things that we talk about, for example, in the Wealth Playbook, our book, is, is about money stories. Uh, and that common story that you always hear, money doesn't grow on trees, we're not the Rockefellers, turn the lights on, all those stuff, all the things I say to my kids. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 the, and the reality of it is that, that can have quite a subliminal and subconscious impact on our life and the way we see things. So you don't talk about money around the table, it's not polite. It says who, um, and, and it becomes this belief system that we have. Yeah, money's the root of all evil. Another money story that that that, that people have: the meek shall inherit the earth. Another money story that people have, and how much truth of those things actually sits there. And, and it's really interesting when you get the opportunity, the luxury, I guess, that we have. Yeah, you know, I'm talking to literally tens of thousands of people to see what their views and beliefs are around money and where it's enabled them to get to under their own banner. And then with some coaching and mentoring and maybe an adjustment of the dial and knob here and there and maybe slide the steering wheel across a little bit where it can take them when they adjust those stories or beliefs that they have around money. It's really profound. So can I ask, what was your influence like when you were, when you were a kid? Because that's often where these things start, right? When your parents start to introduce you or talk about it, what was your influence like? Uh, I came from a pretty financially poor family, uh, very much, very, very much working class. You know, dad worked in a car factory and mum was a cleaner. Uh, and my dad, um, well, he's been on this podcast series. So yes. my dad would be, I'd describe as frugal if I was being polite. I'd say as tight as a fish's bottom. If like I was father, being, like son, yeah, obviously. something like that. And uh, he doesn't like spending it at all. And he's been able to accumulate great wealth through his life. He's worked very hard. He's had some good investments and he's, he's done especially well. You know, he's been retired. Uh, for, oh gee, what's he been retired now? 13, 14, no more than that, 20 years. 23 years he's been retired and he's still saving. That's great. Yeah, he's, he's a machine for it. And so my, my childhood was all about, you know, look after the pennies, you know, and, and don't waste money, uh, you know, turn the lights off literally, and what can you do to get a bit more money in the door? My father was a great worker, great work ethic, and so, you know, you can look at money on two sides. Are you prepared to put in an effort to make it? And if you have it, are you frivolous in the way that you spend it? And my father was very blessed and still is in so far as he put a tremendous effort into making it and he'd be very uh, not willing to spend it, hence why he's accumulated the, the wealth that he did. And I think to a large extent, um, that's the model that I, that I inherited. Now, does that mean because it's something you've inherited um, that it can't change? Of course it can change. Does it mean that if it's something you've inherited, it was wrong? No, it wasn't. It was actually, I'd say, the foundation uh, for my financial success in life was the lessons that both of my parents drilled into me, not just in terms of lessons, but the osmosis of being around it. 
Obviously, I've also added some value to that myself with things I've discovered and learned uh, through my time, but it still comes down to those two things, your ability to create the income side, and then on the other side of the ledger, how you choose to spend that. And, and I'm getting much better at my willingness to spend. I've also, uh, you know, and I've got my wife to thank for part of that too. We have a family, so, you know, your priorities and focus is certainly shift around in that space. But that work ethic side and that desire for me is a game. It's not about work. It hasn't been work, um, work for you know, 20 odd years, but it's been a game that I play with myself that I enjoy. Uh, and that is what can I do to create wealth? That's really Keep interesting. On. Okay. And, and if I couple that then with the skills I've acquired, it's kind of, you know, the lessons my dad and mum gave me on steroids. So, you know, those money sto- stories equally can be, you know, very dangerous too insofar as, you know, live hard, die young, you know, you only get one crack at it, you know, go hard and spend and have a great day. You're never going to regret spending your money, having a good time. Uh, and, and there's some truth to that. And I've done all those things. And, I, and that doesn't make you feel better. Probably not. Uh, but it's a box to tick nonetheless. In my case, it didn't make me feel better. Maybe for some people it validates them, I don't know. But, you know, I think it, it, it's such a complex area to get into. And we, we spend a lot of time talking about it in the book because it is that foundation that, that everything else flows from. Um, you know, and then you get to the limiting beliefs like, oh, no, as a, our family, we're not good with money. That's the story. And guess what? You're right. You're not good with money because you impose this belief system on yourself that you're not good with it. And that's why you're not winning the game because you've already you've already put the white flag up the mast. You haven't made the effort to either improve this side of the column, the, the, the making more or the spending less or to get that balance in play. You just put up the flag and go, we're not good with money. That can change in a heartbeat, especially when you get educated, which I guess has been you know probably our biggest driver as an organization for 20 plus years now. Absolutely. I don't know if that answered the question or not, but it's, it's a good, I'm, I'm hugely passionate about it because the words that people say, sorry, I cut you off. Um, the words that people say reflect, reflect how they think and what they think is what they do. It's an interest, interesting because there's a difference in perspectives. And I guess the next point we'll chat about is, you know, figuring out what your objectives are. Mm. Personally, for myself, I had two polar opposites. So in my household, my dad had no idea what the internet banking password was, had no clue, didn't want to know, didn't really care. Mum, on the other hand, was always in control and knew everything going on. True Italian mama. Right? <laughs> Good so idea, I got both perspectives. Nice work, Sue. She's running the show in your right? house, right? Be organized yeah. and know what's going on. Then my dad saying, mate, just relax a little bit. It'll all take care of itself. And that was quite a good lesson in itself. Hmm. A lot of it comes down to what you actually want because you could say, I'm going to spend all my money and have a great time, but that was what I wanted. Or I'm going to save all my money and invest because that's also what I wanted. So for anyone out there, AB, we've got a foundation in terms of the stories or the preconceived ideas about money that you might have in your head, particularly for our younger listeners. Hmm. How do you then say, this is what I want to do? It's, it ultimately, it's your journey, and that's a really interesting point, isn't it? So, you know, your objective, your goal is your objective and your goal, and it's not for anybody else to, to judge you on it and go, oh, yeah, you, that's not very good. Well, what do you mean? You're not even walking in my shoes. You haven't had the life experiences I've had, so who are you to comment on the journey that I've set myself up for? The challenge, I guess, is if at the end of it, you've worked out that you might have climbed the ladder towards the goal you set, but it might have been leaning against the wrong wall. Uh, and if you've set yourself a, a, a goal of, you know, live for today, live hard, have fun, you only get one crack at it, and, and you climb that ladder throughout your life, and that's what you spend your time doing, and then when you get to the top, you realize, oh, geez, this actually isn't where I want to be, it's very, very hard to turn that around because, unfortunately, you know, building wealth particularly can take time and, and consistency of effort. And if you've spent a, a lifetime going down one pathway, there's an awful lot of 
learning to undo and reprogram in, in, in perhaps a, not a better direction because it's your direction, but in a direction that may be more likely to get you where you want. So I think it's so, so important to be clear on actually what it is that makes you tick and what you're actually looking for. And uh, to an extent also, and again, we talk about this, you know, uh, about delayed gratification in the book, you know, a lot of scientific and, and psychological experiments done on it. If you're prepared to delay that gratification, you can have both. But you've got to be prepared to make short-term decisions that may not be as pleasurable in the moment, but long-term set you up for significant success down the line versus someone that wants it here and now. You get someone who wants to travel. And look, thank you, I love travel. I've done plenty of it in my lifetime um, yeah, with my family, which is something that probably gives me more pleasure than anything now. And also, as a bachelor, very different types of holidays, different experiences, different everything. Um, and I think if you set yourself, I want to be someone that travels, that's my thing, I want to broaden my horizons and see what the world's about. And you do all of that, but at the expense of also getting the investing side under control, you'll get to a point where you are finished traveling, but you're so far behind on the investing side, it's very, very hard to play catch up because you've got no compounding working for you. Whereas if you take some time to get the investing side working as quickly as you possibly can and then periodically doing some travel you can get your investments working to the the stage where you can travel for the rest of your life if that's what you want to do and in a very very different way it just comes down to the syntax and getting the order right that instant gratification at 18 or 21 uh to to wanting to go to eos or or, or wherever it may be and, and and go hard you go well i'm going to say i'm going to put a handbrake on this from 25 <laughs> and I'll go when I'm 25, why? Because I'm gonna have a couple of investment properties and a primary place of residence and my investing portfolio started, and then I'll go to EOS and I'll have a great time, but I'll still have those assets working for me. But that's not necessarily everybody's journey. It's, right. it's working out what's right for you and, and taking some time to think about that because the consequences of not thinking, uh, I'll find this as a CEO uh, and it's a good parallel in business and you, you feel that you go through phases where if you're not doing, the rest of the team are looking at you and you're going, well, you're not doing anything. You know, you just sat there, you know, collecting, collecting the money. How good's that? But sometimes just sitting there on what appears to be doing nothing and actually thinking is an underrated use of your time. And I always used to think, I need to be doing lead from the front. You've seen that firsthand. Let's just work harder than everyone. Let's work longer than everyone. Let's show how it's supposed to work. And then you get to the point where you go, but I need to spend more time actually working out what the next play is. And you've got to be strategic. So you need time, space, and thought to do that. And that gets a far bigger outcome overall for everybody in the team than just being in the doing phase. You go back to the personal finance story we're on now. If you don't take the time out to think about what you want because you're so busy just being busy doing stuff, instead of saying, right, I'm going to spend this weekend and next weekend solely working out what I want from life and specifically what those milestones might look like so I can then chunk it down and break it back to the action steps I need to take this week today to make that a reality. That's a very, very good use of time. How many people would spend not even two weekends doing this, but maybe two hours a year doing this? Very few. And that's why so many people fail to get to their objective because they haven't really committed to it because they don't really know what they want. It's Gotta a, get the horse in front of the car. That's right. If I can then challenge you on well, this. Tell me about EOS for your 25th. Yeah, that, <laughs> I am looking forward to that. That's right. Um, well learned. 
Yeah, because you've got the game underway and it's always going to work for you even while you're over there having a great time. It's still going to be working for you. That's right. And my partner's on the other other end of the spectrum. She is travel now and worry about the rest later. So She'll marry well, I'm sure. Yes, well, I hope she hopes so. (laughs) (laughs) If we put our investing and money hats on now, AB, so developing money values, you've got your foundations, you've got your objectives, and let's just make the assumption that your objective is to build wealth in Mm. this instance. Two things. Attitude to risk, knowing what that is, and then secondly, developing an investment plan, be it Mm. equity market, property market, bond market. Where do you start? What's the process? Understanding risk is is pivotal. And again, it's an area a lot of people don't really spend the time thinking about in that you can't have the rainbow without the storm. So if your expectations are of fairly significant returns on your money, for example, You've got to be open to the fact that things can go wrong with that unless you've got a really niche strategy, and they do exist, and we, we, we run several of them. Um, you have to have that trade-off in play. And, and so, you know, you really have to look at where you sit on that risk spectrum, and everyone wants to talk about the return. That's me. But when they look at the other side of the coin, which may come with a, you know, a drawdown in your account or, you know, the percentage for losing, a, you know, chance of losing a reasonable percentage of your money, that's not them. And also you've got to revisit that journey around risk because it will change through time based on age, number one. Number two, and why age? Because as you get older, you've got less time to write the ship. You know, if you're 20 and it all goes wrong, you get a lifetime out of you, 70 is just, it's done. Um, equally, the attitude toward risk will change as you learn more in that, for example, I don't like debt and I still don't. You talk about lessons that your parents have imparted on you. Uh, and my father's advice always, if you owe someone money, they, own you, which it's a good way in, to in live, the binary to way of thinking is very true. And I don't know how many tens of millions of dollars that advice has cost me, but it hasn't cost me a night's loss of sleep. And so I don't particularly like risk. I, I was extremely aggressive as far as risk was concerned when I was younger because I had nothing and I had to build something. So I was prepared to go all in on a two and a jack and work through it because I had nothing to lose. And as my life has shifted through, my attitude to risk has really done a 180 where I'm, I'm incredibly risk averse now. And I even see this coming with my, my kids around a whole bunch of stuff, you know, where you've got to be very careful that you don't deprive your kids of a learning about risk approach firsthand. And I'll talk about my son riding a motorbike or my daughter riding a horses or whatever it might be. And you're kind of like, don't do that. But you, you have to, assuming no one's going to have a fatal or very serious injury, you've got to let them go through that and fall and, and, and know what that is. And investing is just the same because for me, my very first investment, I lost all my money. And so to come from nothing, save a little bit, lose it all is so deflating, but I'm also a pretty stubborn person. And it's like, well, I'm going to work this out, which I obviously did. And I got back on the horse and worked through it. So as I've gotten older, most definitely my attitude towards risk is has shifted 180 degrees where I, I, I really do everything I can now with my trading, for example, to, to box in risk or, um, or, or or to be fairly conservative because I've got a, a bigger pile to work with. I don't need to risk it anymore. I, I just need to steward it. Equally, it changes in relationships too. I just did a coaching session this morning, just had the two most beautiful people in the office. And and uh, and it's great from time to time, actually, you know, spending time with clients. I don't get to do that very often though. And I, I spent more time with them than I was probably allocated because I enjoyed it, they enjoyed it, we got something out of it. But the difference between the couple from a risk perspective was one was gung-ho and let's take risk. And the other one was, hey, let's be fairly conservative and keep our feet on the ground here. So. As you move in through this money journey, for example, into a relationship, a committed relationship, a marriage, um, then 
the attitude towards risk management, it becomes blended because there are two people involved in that decision. And so you might have your view of risk, but if it's not your money, if it's your collective wealth as a family, then you've got to listen to the other invested party or parties if you've got dependent kids and, and, and steward the risk accordingly. So it's not just a, oh yeah, I'm all for it. I want to make money, I'll take risk because things do change quite dramatically. What you learn, your age, your domestic situation, whether there are other people involved in that in terms of you know, money, uh, it could be a combined self-managed super as a family, all of those different things. Uh, but at the same time, if you want your money to grow, you do have to become you do have to become comfortable with risk and exposing yourself to some downside. I'd also argue the biggest risk of all in life is is, is doing nothing and hoping that things change. Get educated so you can learn to manage risk and be a catalyst for making change, and that's where the needle really moves for you. And it's a very, very tricky balance. And equally, it's a frame that consistently changes through your life. Already from your own perspective, at, at your age now, I'm sure your attitude to risk and things that you do, um, maybe you know, socially, personally, and money-wise, has probably changed already in that fairly short chapter. Absolutely. Biggest thing for me was actually knowing what the risks are and then making a calculated assessment. So 100% agree, stage of life and education is going to give you the biggest, biggest plan of attack moving forward. Mm. Once you're aware of that, AB, what's then the deal about building an investment plan? Because there's so many different options out there, crypto, stocks, property, whatever. Mm. How do you pick one or pick a couple? <laughs> I think... I always say to people, yeah, try and gravitate towards what you've got an interest in. Uh, and, and the reason for that, if you sort of go back to the mists of time for me and not so long ago for you uh, being at school, um, the subjects that you probably excelled at were the ones that you were most interested in. And if we're talking about winning the money game, then it's an area you do want to excel in. And so if it's an area that you've got an interest in, by definition, you're probably going to have a good rolling start to that. And, and typically it does fall into one of a couple of, of camps. Property certainly appeals to most people because you have 66% of Australians own a property. And if you've been in a family that own property and see how it can create you know, wealth or intergenerational wealth in some instances, you think, well, that's where I've got to be. And, and, and I'm a stock market person. That's been my career um, for an awful long time now, over 30 years. And yet it hasn't tempered my enthusiasm for the property market because it's not one or the other. That might be what I do and where my expertise is. But if I look at some of the bigger financial gains that I've made in my life, it's probably been through property. So I'm not averse to, it's not one or the other, it's not church and state, they're, they're, they're a combination of the two. And I do believe that you know, as a foundational principle, and we talk about this again in the Wealth Playbook, our book, um, you know, the, 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 the best thing you can do is to build that asset right off the bat and that's your, that's your first property, whether it be a primary place of residence because you have to have somewhere to live. And, and you know, my good mate Shoes, it runs uh, $9, $10 billion these days, um, has always been of that mindset. Even when we were both kids, when we first started working in London together, it was like, I'm not paying rent, it's dead money. I want to buy somewhere and I'll pay the rent to my mortgage. And, and so he got his start very, very early on in that respect. And, and then you have to have that anchor. It doesn't matter whether it's an investment property or whether it's a primary place of residence, you've got to get over that hurdle as early as possible. And of course, you know, the, 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 the common theme to, to that conversation right now, the money story around that is, well, it was easier for you back then. Well, I defy anyone when they're in their very early 20s to buy a property in London, period, at any time in history, because salaries were lower then and the property market was lower then. Salaries are higher then and the property market's high. It's always hard. Interest rates were higher then than they are now. Um, so it's always going to be hard. It's just got to be, if it's your goal, your objective, it's part of what your journey looks like, 
you simply have to get started. And there are sacrifices that come from that. And, and, and yeah, 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 just have to bite the bullet. I remember I'd gone all in on buying my place because like my dad, you've got to get a property, son, you've got to get a property, best investment, get property. Okay, dad will listen and mum. And, and, and so I did. And, and I'd gone all in and I'd got my deposit and a little bit more than the deposit over. And, and I remember the, the, I was in there for about maybe 10 days and it was a Victorian, uh, a Victorian terrace house, not in a particularly nice part of London. I was so proud. Uh, but I was all in financially and I knew what my mortgage payments were going to be. I'd done my budgeting and I knew I could, I could service my mortgage. I had a whole bunch of secondhand furniture in there. At one point, I didn't, I, I didn't have a table. I actually had my ironing board with a towel over it to eat <laughs> off. I lived on my own as a bachelor, not the, not the lifestyle of the rich and dysfunctional. And, and, and I remember and I just sat there one night, so proud of it. And then the gas boiler blew up. Now, that doesn't sound like it's a particular challenge, but if you live in the UK and in the winter, all my hot water and all my heating uh, was driven from the gas boiler. So we called the gas board, the boiler's blown up, and they said, we can't get anyone there for you know, four days or whatever. So pretty cold, sat there at the ironing board eating my dinner with a coat on, but that was what the situation was. And, and then the gas guy comes around, looks at it and going, yeah, it's blown, it's gonna be whatever to fix it. It was a few thousand pounds, which was, I didn't have that. I literally just gone all in, right? just, I'd literally gone all in on this property. And so I had to dip into what was my emergency fund. And these are all things that we encourage people to do. Now, this is just the reality of life. You have to have these boxes ticked off if you want to win the money game. And it's not about having billions. It's about having peace of mind. Very different. That's not a dollar benchmark. That's a quality of life benchmark. And so I had to dip into my emergency fund and some, I had to go on my credit card, credit card debt. And I, at the time I had this, it was disgusting, this secondhand mattress uh, that, you know, that's probably the sort of thing that would be like lying on a bed of nails under different circumstances. It wasn't necessarily the cleanest mattress in the world either. I don't need to go any further with that. And my, my big plan, I'd moved in, I was going to get a new mattress for this bed. And I couldn't afford it because I had to pay this couple of grand to the gas board. And that was the sacrifice and trade-off that comes out of left field. And those sorts of things will crush you if you haven't taken the time to build those basic steps. And it was really, really hard to own that first place. It's also the best decision I made because the property market in London, that was my first purchase there and the market moved up and it's a good suburb, you know, became gentrified. And that was a really good extra start for me outside of my career of my investing. I could have easily put that off and said, oh, I'm going to go to Tallinn for the weekend with the boys and I'm off to you know, Prague or whatever it might be and have some fun and do this because it's dead easy to do all that from London and, and continue to rent, which most of my peers were doing at that time. And oh, how come you're not coming away at the weekend? And it's like, well, yeah, mortgage doesn't sound much fun. But then when you look back in the rearview mirror and they're still grafting and chasing the dollar and you got out of that game a long time ago, you know, it was a sacrifice that was worth making. So I think... You know, getting started if it's something passive like property you have to if it's starting a share market portfolio as a regular saver with a couple of hundred bucks a week we've got an etf portfolio service that we're running now where you know it's a regular saver so rather than keep your money in cash just keep buying uh, an index etf and adding adding to that as time goes by dollar cost averaging and building your wealth up if you're into crypto fantastic have a red hot crack at that if you're buying and selling websites and, uh, and doing virtual real estate that way keep doing it but keep building out there and just get started and and, and to do that you've you, you've got to have a plan it doesn't happen by accident it is really a couple of interesting observations I made through that. Thank you. And I think that kind of covered off almost all of the I'm sorry boxes. about telling the, the details of the mattress. It was, it was a bio. Yeah, it had a bit of a weird but. thought, but anyway. Uh, so one thing you may mention of specifically, AB, which I think is probably a good place to, to, to finish this off, is you made mention of the emergency fund, which is kind of mm -hmm. personal finance 101, right? Have an emergency fund. 
now that we've got, in terms of the, the syntax of this, we've got our plan, we know attitude to risk, we've got a strategy, we know the foundations. That's the investing hat, the personal finance hat in terms of what you're spending on entertainment, travel, needs to also come into play because it's not just about making it to invest, it's also about enjoying it as, as well as you say. Hmm. Where do you then start to draw the line and work out what your parameters are for that? It's an interesting one, and I know you you refer to this as I think maybe was it your dad Dino who said it lifestyle inflation. That's right, lifestyle yeah. inflation. And I remember my father, and actually particularly my mum as well. I was very very close to my mother before she passed away, and the growing this side of the ledger, the income side is fantastic, but you've got to make sure that this side isn't growing at the same rate that the spending side, to a point. You might get to the tipping point where it doesn't matter, which I guess is the the, the hallowed the hallowed ground for people. Because if this this lifestyle inflation creeps up, and I remember the example, and I had this conversation with my old chap not too long ago, and, and he said, like, remember we, I used to say, you know, just, you know, watch a penny, he said, yeah, yeah, and he said, no, I'm still reasonable at that. And he said, but like lifestyle inflation, he comes and saves us, you know, three, six months of the year, he's got a pretty good life, and, and we love having him at our place. And he said, yeah, I've been here this week, and I'm just watching you know, how, how you guys live and the opportunity of giving your kids. He said, it's just, just incredible that you can do that, and they're not spoiled on my head. He said, but I want to talk to you about your lifestyle creep, because <laughs> I know that you don't like spending money. Uh, and I don't, I, I, get, I make it a game where I almost enjoy not spending. Uh, well, that's not strictly true. I've got some foibles, wine, watches, cars, they're pretty expensive habits, but you know, the, the, everyone's got their vice, I suppose. Um, he said, I want to talk about socks. Socks? Socks. Right? Okay, what do we got on today then, just uh, out of interest? These, I think these are Xenias. Very nice. Um, so he said, you go back to, you, you, know, you probably, probably wouldn't have been through this pain threshold, but nylon socks, which growing up as a kid in the 70s and 80s were actually the norm. It wasn't cotton and wool, it was nylon because they lasted longer. And you get these really nasty, you know, you'd walk along and you'd almost, you know, give people an electric shock because of all the static building up in your body <laughs> of these things. And then you move out of that and you go to, you know, like in the UK, it was like Burton's was the, the sort of, I guess it'd be like the Lowe's here in Australia. And then you had next, uh, which would be the country road. And then from there, there's another level, which might be, I don't know, if we're in here in Australia, RM Williams. So your socks have gone from nylon, at like pound stretcher or some cheap shop, to Lowe's, to um, country, country road, road to, to RM Williams. Uh, and then and then you go, okay, now, now you find you like they go to Meyer or something, they've got various designer socks there. So you've got some Blanc, Calvin Klein socks, yeah. so you've got your first designer label. Peter Jackson. And then it goes all the way through. And then you're looking at a pair of $150 socks from Xenia and you're going, what on earth are you thinking? And that's a really good example of lifestyle creep. Now it's an extreme one. Yeah, you could argue that you could do the same thing with wine from a clean skin through to a bottle of Hill of Grace, whatever it might be. Does that improve the quality of your life? What does it actually do for you? Is it about utility? Is it about the feeling that you get within yourself? Or is it the feeling that you elicit from other people? And, and again, my dad is, this is quite a personal conversation actually when I think about what we've covered you know, with our conversation today, but I guess we're talking about the journey we go on, uh, starting with our beliefs around money and money stories. And I remember I had a sports car uh, a number of years ago, I had a, it was a, when, uh, it was an Aston Martin, I always wanted an Aston Martin, James Bond fan. 
So I remember getting this Aston and, and, and my mum and dad were over and I was going for a spin with my dad through Main Beach on the Gold Coast. And, you know, the key thing with a car like that is you always drive it in first or second gear so everyone on the planet can hear you and acknowledge your ego, and uh, which is very sad. And I remember my dad saying to me, look, he said, it's a great car. My dad works in the car industry. He said, I'm going to ask you a question. I said, yeah, what's that? And he always asks me hard questions, even though he's not an academic. He's, he knows how to get under my skin really, really well. And uh, he said, Where'd you buy this? I said, well, I always wanted when I remember James Bond. He said, I, I, he said, I don't know. He said, it, it is truly beautiful. Congratulations. Well done. You worked hard. Really proud of you. All the things that, that are nice to hear from your, your parents. He said, but did you buy this for you or did you buy it for how people treat you differently? Because we'd gone to the casino and done something. You just don't have a park. You just pull in the front of the casino. They want to leave it out the front. You get a nice hotel, leave it out the front. And, uh, and it was a really interesting philosophical question. So if you go along that lifestyle creep, when you buy stuff that's, that's beyond normal, expensive one-off purchase type things or, 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 or more luxurious purchases, why are you buying it? Is it for how it makes you feel when you go in the shop, I can afford this? Is it for the recognition that you get from other people? Or is it because maybe it's just a really good quality product, which is also true too. You can go into you know, the various brands that are, aren't just a designer label, they're very, very good quality as well. Yeah, you know, Louis Vuitton's a very good example of that leatherware and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and that's a really good question to ask yourself. What's your motivation for it in terms of, you know, balancing the books because if you're in that personal finance mode where you're trying to grow this side and you're trying to get this under control, maybe the filter for the under control side, the spending side, rather than have an immediate instant purchase, yeah, I'll take two, is I'm going to go think about this for 24 hours and the question to ask yourself, do I need it? Do I want it? And if I want it, why do I want it? And I can guarantee you won't buy it. You'll save yourself a fortune. That fortune that you save yourself on avoiding lifestyle creep, you can whack over into an offset account and get your mortgage down. You can whack into your savings account and get your emergency fund. You can whack into your trading account and start building an index tracker that might be like the US market this year on the back of a 30% gain. It's just grown 30% for you this year, a lot better than having a designer pair of socks. It might be the deposit or the start of the deposit you need for your next property. It might be chipping the mortgage down. It's going to be something positive. It might be spending on your own financial education so you know how to make better decisions. Great little safety catch there to stop people falling foul of that lifestyle because peer pressure is huge. And especially in today's social media dominated world where you've got to be seen to be something. I'd rather be not seen to have peace of mind financially than I guess masquerading behind stuff that doesn't necessarily reflect your standing in life. We've all got friends that have gone out on a limb on their card or, or buy now pay later to buy stuff to look cool. They can't afford it, but it's more important for them for the recognition and there's a long-term price to pay for that. Get yourself started investing in the right way with the right set of priorities, the right focus, the right goals. And you can have all that and more. You just gotta be prepared to maybe delay it just a little bit and get the machine working first. And then your money is working for you instead of you working for it. And that involves sacrificing your ego, which is really, really hard to do. But gee, the long-term payoff diagram looks pretty good. Couldn't have said it any better myself, and that is a brilliant way to finish AB. I won't even add anything to that because I simply can't. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Anytime, Mitch. There you have it, guys. Give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.